Hello, everybody. This is Grace Cho, CEO of Entrepreneur Creative Careers Podcast. Today, we have a wonderful conversation lined up for you. It is with the Director of Curatorial Programs at the Bronx Museum, Eileen Zhang Lynch, who stewards the museum's curatorial initiatives and exhibition schedule with an eye towards expanding its presence in the Bronx and beyond. Previously, Eileen was a senior curator of visual arts at Wave Hill, which happens to be in the Bronx as well. There, she organized exhibitions and programs that explored the intersections of nature, culture, and place, in addition to commissioning artists for site-specific projects. She also managed their residency and emerging artist programs, organizing projects that often served as the first solo exhibition in New York for many artists. Eileen has a lot of curatorial experience with many museums, notable institutions, and remarkable galleries. She received her master's at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago and her bachelor's at Syracuse University. It is my pleasure to welcome Eileen to the show. Eileen, I'm so excited to talk to you today. Hi, Grace. I am as well. Thank you. It's going to be a delightful conversation. Just to start off, as I always do, Please tell me about your career that led you to this awesome position at the Bronx Museum. Sure. Um, So my career path was not the most direct. It was a little bit uh, circuitous. I always had a, without going too far back into my past, (laughs) a very uh, interest in art, you know, very early on, especially at at a young age. And I actually had studied at Syracuse University, as you mentioned, at the Newhouse School, uh, advertising and art history as well. And I took a contemporary art course that really opened my eyes to what was possible in contemporary art. But I did end up working in advertising for a number of years, for four years in the city, and realized that, you know, I didn't see myself in this long term. And I felt like I wasn't as connected anymore, you know, to the art world. And so I went went back to school, the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. I worked at the Art Institute there especially during the opening of the Modern Wing, which is very exciting. And, you know, since then, I've worked at uh, different nonprofits and commercial galleries and, you know, currently at, at the Bronx Museum. But I think the skills I learned, you know, throughout this career path are all translatable and all very helpful, you know, in my current position. So I started at the Bronx Museum about eight months ago or so, so last summer. And it's been an amazing journey. Tell me about that. How has it been for the first eight months? It's been really exciting um, working with the team there. So my inaugural show was Abigail DeVille's Bronx Heavens, and that is her first museum survey, and that's currently up now. It was very exciting to open with that. You know, she's she's a Bronx-based artist. And then also her family, you know, generations of her family have lived have lived in the area. And then I was managing the concurrent show called Swagger and Tenderness, the South Bronx Portraits by John Ahern and Rigoberto Torres, that's guest curated by Amy Rosenblum Martin and Ron Cavanaugh. And it's amazing to see, you know, their work on the show also highlighting the Bronx community. And the connections, you know, between our two shows and to be a part of all of that is just very exciting. Um, We are embarking on on a capital project. And so that will allow us even more programming space. So equally or even more so exciting. I want to jump back to your career a little bit. So I want to know why you flipped 
from advertising. It does deal with the visual arts to some degree. Mm -hmm. But jumping over to the curatorial side, was there an incident or a situation that helped you flip over or was there a particular moment? When I was at Syracuse University, I was taking both, as I mentioned, the advertising and, and art history courses. And my career path at that point was advertising. That's what I entered in as, and, and that's what I knew that I was going to go into, all the, even though I had this other interest in the fine arts and in, in art history. I took studio classes as well. And so that's, that was always in, that was always around, you know, always in. When I took that contemporary art course, I also proposed um, like a curatorial project as part of it. So it was always there. But, you know, I, I had set out on my path to work in advertising on the, on the creative end, on the copywriting end. So that's what I did. That's what I did for four years. And at that point, I did feel very disconnected to to the artist, you know, to the fine arts. And so it was it was very much business oriented, even though there is certainly creativity, you know, in writing ads. And so it just clicked. It was, you know, four years in and it was almost kind of not immediate, but it was it was just the one period that I remembered. I said, I I need to switch like fully I need to switch careers. I need to go back into the arts. And so I was thinking about how to do that. And so I, I was applying for, for different positions in, in different museums. And I uh, secured an internship at an art gallery and realized that I needed to go back to school. So that's why I went to Chicago, the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. And mm-hmm. that really opened my eyes that, you know, the cohort of people who I met there you know, amazing colleagues I worked with at the museum. It was just so many connections to be made and so many opportunities, you know, to be had that, you know, it felt right. Mm-hmm. You know, I was really happy in this field, you know, doing a lot of research work in the, in the contemporary art department. And then I moved back to New York and I worked at uh, Sproni Westwater, which is a contemporary art gallery. But all along the time between that point of, even like towards the end of my time in Chicago until, you know, my start at the Bronx Museum, I was doing a lot of independent curating because I knew that's what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to work with artists. I wanted to tell their stories. You know, they're working on these contemporary issues and it's just really important to put out there. And so I started out, you know, at a DIY space, you know, a basement gallery and, you know, started to make connections through that. That was in Brooklyn. You know, so I worked on my curatorial projects at, at night and on weekends or whenever I wasn't working on my day job. Uh, and then just continued to to build from there, just kind of working all the time and developing these uh, curatorial projects. And then you meet people who have a space or another space and they ask you to to curate a project there. And so that's also going alongside of, you know, my job at the at the gallery. And then I worked at RxArt, which is a, a nonprofit that commissions contemporary artists to put art in children's hospitals, which is amazing. And building, you know, all the while, it's all connected. Like our world is, is small, but it's all connected. And so I've developed a lot of relationships through my time and then also, you know, pursuing this curatorial path. And so my my first full-time curatorial position was actually at Wave Hill. So my first full-time curatorial position was at Wave Hill. I was, I was there for five years. Uh, Wave Hill is a public garden and, and cultural center in the northwest part of the Bronx, overlooking the Hudson River. It's a it's beautiful garden and um, 
in cultural space. I worked with a lot of emerging artists and commissioning artists on site-specific place-based projects. So it was all really exciting. And I knew that, I mean, I always knew because I had been doing these independent projects, you know, being in, in that role full-time was just a great shift. And then being in, the, in this current role, it's just really amazing to be able to shape what is happening and what, what will happen in the future. So to that point, as as the director for the curatorial programs at the museum, the the messages and the themes that you'll be focusing on or you are focusing on currently, are there particular ones that you have your eye on? That's a good question. You know, in terms of messages and themes, you really want to think about you know presenting new perspectives, presenting you know un- untold narratives, you know thinking about you know underrepresented artists and the stories that they tell. And so there'll be a lot of different themes we're covering, but I guess the common thread will be that the artists are dealing with, you know, contemporary issues, critical issues, issues dealing with, you know, social justice, for instance. And so there'll there'll be a lot of different subject matter that will be distilled throughout the, you know, the upcoming exhibitions. Great. Speaking of exhibitions, now you've been in the position for, for about eight months. The way you engage the community. What are the different ways that you're employing to get the people to see it? Sure. So with the two current shows, it was really important for us to engage the community because the show is for them. And so for the instance of, of Abigail's show, there is a lunar capsule that she created. And inside is a recording device. And it's more or less like an unofficial oral history project. And so what was really important for Abigail was to engage the community and engage people who who may not go to the museum or even know about the museum. And so what we did even even prior to the opening of her show in October was we traveled the space capsule to different parts of the borough. And we're rolling this large space capsule down the street and everyone's like, what is what's going on here? What is well, you know, what are you doing? And so we invited them to share their stories. Abigail did provide, you know, some prompts, such as thinking about our journey and how we're all connected in this realm of, you know, past, present, future. If it wasn't for the past, if it wasn't for our ancestors, we wouldn't be here in the present. And and if it wasn't for the present, we wouldn't have the future. And so there's just just thinking about the realm of possibilities. A lot of people came out as very intergenerational, you know, kids and their parents and their grandparents came into the capsule and recorded their stories in an event, a family day that's organized by our education and public engagement department across the street at the Andrew Friedman home. And then we, we took the capsule to the African Heritage Celebration and Festival down on 161. And so it was just amazing to have people participate and record their stories that wouldn't, you know, necessarily be told out there. And there is actually another piece in the show. It's called Black Monolith. It looks like a, a apartment building where you can listen to these stories. There are a couple headphones and you can you can listen to the stories. So this will continue to shift, you know, during the course of the exhibition. And that's just one instance of community engagement. And then with the concurrent show, Swagger and Tenderness, the co-curators, Amy and Ron, really built in with the education department, thinking about like public programs and how to make that a part of the whole narrative. And so even for the opening day, we had a 
public reception on a Saturday afternoon, and there was food vendors from the Bronx, and then we had art activities, and it was a you know a few hours long during the afternoon, and so people could come in and engage in in all different ways, experience the show. And then other programming that's developed is a salsa party, a, a double Dutch competition. And even in the show, there's a Skelzies table. Uh, Skelzies is a, is a game that Ron had played as a child and so thought that was an important part of the exhibition. And so when visitors come in, they recognize that, you know, it's a game that they've played. And then there's also a dominoes table and, you know, visitors can engage in that way. And there's also a sound component that's playing. There's a few musicians on stage and uh, sculptures of musicians on stage and, and it's playing salsa music. So really thinking about, you know, the local community and how to make the experience very engaging and, and warm. That's great. And the crowd must have loved it. Largely local, or do you also get a fair amount of international folks to come in, or is it largely Bronx-based? It's a mix of of local, of other parts of New York, of international visitors. So it's great. Do you have a goal to bring in, you said Bronx and beyond. So how are you bringing in folks beyond Bronx? Sure. I think in terms of narratives, of exhibition themes, and even you know, the artists and the work that will be reflected in the exhibition is a way, you know, to connect with people, not just locally, but throughout the city, throughout the U.S., and even, you know, beyond internationally. And so I think artists in general are dealing with a lot of different, you know, critical issues and themes in their work. And so I think in that sense, it can really draw in various audiences. And it it depends on the overarching theme of the exhibition. But let's say like the themes or issues that they're dealing with could be local and they could be global. So I think there are different threads of connections that people can make. And I think that's the amazing part of art that you know, artists make something invisible, visible, and then thinking about it can be very open-ended. And, and so, and they welcome that. And so people, even if they if they look at something, everyone has different interpretations of it because they bring their own connection with it. They bring their own narratives. And so certainly the exhibitions will have different themes, but I think the content of the show, the artists who are represented will draw in a wide range of audiences. I love what you just said earlier, making the invisible visible. That's really great. Do you see the role of the curator shifting or evolving in any way? I do, and I I see it shifting in, in, in many different ways. So I think there's been shifts where, you know, people can wear multiple hats or have different roles. So there are there are curators, there are, you know, there are artists who are curators artists who started their own space and, you know, they're directing the program and critics and and writers who are curators. I think the line can be blurred. I remember actually when I was looking into different careers, both for undergrad and and grad school that, you know, I picked up a book saying, oh, you know, careers in the arts or something. And, and they would explain what a, what a curator does. And certainly like, Yes, a curator um, cares for the collection, you know, if the museum has a collection. I think that book was very museum focused. And so like curators in a museum, what do they do? But there's there's curators in museums and in even the roles of that. So like curators of the collection, curators of, you know, exhibitions. There is 
curators also in galleries. There's curators in maybe like alternative spaces. And so I think the role has really broadened. And I think, you know, as my role as director of curatorial programs, it's more than just like coming up with, with the idea for the exhibitions. There is you know, management involved in in putting together an exhibition schedule, thinking about, you know, years ahead. There is, you know, logistical work involved in, you know, managing a a team. And so there are other skill sets, I think, that it just depends on every role is different, I feel like. And then every place, every institution also has different responsibilities, depending on on what that curatorial role is. But you know, at the core of it, it's you know, you're caring about the art, you're caring about the artist, and really trying to get these narratives and these stories told. And I think that is at the core of, of curatorial work. And then all the different roles and, you know, everything is just varies with the context of where that position is. So that leads me to my next question is, it's interesting, because you've worked on the gallery side, and mm-hmm. now you're in the museum world. What makes the difference between an artist that's in a gallery versus getting into a museum? What do you think are the critical differences that an artist has? Something about their art, their skill set, what draws that distinction? There are artists who are just strictly, you know, the galleries, they focus on the gallery and they get in versus many dream to be in a museum and they get chosen. Do you see the differences in how they approach their work? I think it depends. I mean, for an artist, it's really important to be, you know, cohesive. And so what you're showing in a gallery versus what you're showing in the museum, it's very disparate. It's still like the artist's work. And so there's mm-hmm. definitely the the connection there. Of course, the different contexts is the, uh, you know, what works are saleable. And then the museum world and nonprofit where you can be a little bit more experimental Although there are galleries who do that too. And so. Well, I want to ask you about that word cohesive. So we have to sort of uh, coach a lot of artists on this particular aspect. I would love to know what you define. How do you define cohesive? What does that mean to you? So let's say, let's say an artist is submitting an application for, for an open call. You know, you're supposed to submit work samples, for instance, right? They should all be tailored towards towards a specific opportunity. So you do your research and you look at the organization that's hosting the open call. And then you think about in terms of work samples, like it's all cohesive in the sense that it's maybe they could be a couple of different bodies of work, but there is like a common thread between them. There's not like this kind of one-off outlier or they're like multiple, like if it's, if it's, if it feels disconnected and, and disparate, let's say like, an artist has put a couple of bodies of work represented by a few images each. And then in reviewing application, you can see that, oh, yes, this is what they're working on. This is the direction that they've moved in. Or you could see the connection, you know, between the different works. And it doesn't have to be like necessarily a really tight connection, but you could see like some involvement of their work versus I would say like submitting 10 images of 10 completely different works from completely different time frames, and then it, it presents a less cohesive picture. Mm, that's, a good, that's a good point, because uh, we often see an artist who may think that their 10 works are great, and individually mm-hmm. they're wonderful works, but they don't connect to each other. To right. So, so thinking about that, like what narrative do you want to put forth? And maybe you pick a few of those best pieces and then have like additional pieces that are from those bodies of work. And so it looks there looks like there's more of a, a connection there. And certainly there's the area 
on applications where you can write a description, which I, I highly recommend that always helps people. Yes, that's <laughs> important. Reviewing. Yes, yes. Descriptions are a must. Yes. You know, a few lines like versus more than just medium description and, and dimensions. Yeah, exactly. That's that's a fantastic advice. Uh, otherwise, how will you know? It just feels very cold when it lacks that description. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting is that, you know, the skills that are necessary to be successful in the gallery versus the museum, a lot of the same Mm -hmm. skills are important for an artist. So what do you think are, aside from the cohesiveness of their work and building a connection as they're submitting, what are the other skills that you look for? What advice would you give to an artist so that you can be successful by focusing on the following skill sets? What would they be? Name your top two or three? I think conveying your work. So whether it's on, on an artist website, for instance, with an artist statement, mm-hmm. you know, what is what is your work about? Of, of course, it is open to interpretation, but like, you know, at the core of it, what are you telling? Like, what is your story? What is what is your work about? Mm-hmm. And so I like to read artist statements as a, as a curator. Um, and then, <laughs> yes, yeah, representing pieces of your work, obviously on the website, you can put you know, a range of, of works from, from the past to the present. And then, like, good photography. I, I know photography can be expensive. Or even if you have a friend who is a photographer, like, documentation. Documentation is important. Description of your work and your practice is important. And along with that are, you know, writing skills. And then making connections. You know, the art world is, is about making different connections as well. And so, you know, being out there and, you know, talking to people about your work and and then you and then you never know like uh, you know it's hard it's not I mean everyone knows this like not to burn any bridges because you never know like who someone else knows it's a world of possibilities and so let's say you've met someone today and then I always suggest keeping in touch with that person it, you know if you made a connection just keep them updated on, on what you've been doing and then you never know like maybe they're in their current role there isn't an opportunity for exhibition, but maybe they're in a different role five years down the line and they remember, oh, I I met this artist. And so they're going to contact you for, you know, XYZ exhibition. And so I would say like, yeah, keep that, you know, network going. And actually for the Bronx Museum, uh, we have a long-standing program called the AIM Fellowship Program for Emerging Artists, and it is a professional development program with different seminars. I mean, the structure has changed uh, a little bit over the years, but currently it's a nine-month program for emerging artists, and it's broken down into two sessions, um, fall and, and spring, and there are seminars on these different sessions, like marketing, writing, like artist statements. That's extraordinary. Is it? Does it have to be online or, I'm sorry, in person, or is there a virtual version as well? It's in person. Um, it's it's also about building a cohort and that relationship, and that's, mm-hmm. that's been pretty hard to do virtually. And so when you're in these sessions together as a group, it really helps kind of you know develop relationships and nurture those relationships. So all the classes are Tuesday evenings in person at the museum, and then we ask artists that they are able to commit to that. There is a break in the summer to commit to that schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's just really important. Like a lot of times the seminars will build on each other. And then there are other opportunities where the artists will visit different galleries, like, and even different, 
you know, there are different types of galleries. There are there are galleries that, you know, represent or work with more emerging artists. There are kind of the mid-level galleries. There are the blue chip galleries. And so even that, you know, that in itself is a lot to navigate. And then we have a lawyer who teaches the legal part of it, like what you should and shouldn't do. And yeah, and then artists come in and, and they talk to the fellows about their experience and it's a really candid conversation they can ask you know whatever they want and get like honest feedback on what was their career path like what have they learned what to do or what not to do and how much is the course it doesn't cost anything you apply and you get you get accepted oh you have to Mm -hmm. get accepted that's that's terrific thank you oh my goodness that's a great program we must tell all the artists to check it out the last question I'd like to ask you is, uh, tell us about the current exhibitions, Eileen. Sure. So, the, so Abigail DeVille, Bronx Heavens, it's a survey exhibition of the artist's work and it examines the myths and realities of local familial and ancestral histories and this convoluted notion of freedom. And so all, Abigail's work is, is very site-specific and she does research and she thinks about the place in which, where the show is taking place. And so for the Bronx, there is a part of the exhibition focused on her familial and ancestral histories because generations of her family you know, lived here. Her great-grandmother and grandmother migrated from the South as part of the Great Migration to Harlem and then settled in the Bronx. And so thinking about, you know, the journeys that everyone has taken and thinking about how the Bronx has been a, a sanctuary for immigrant and, and migrant communities for a long time. And so for Abigail, the show really unearths these forgotten narratives of communities of color um, and gives people the opportunity to to be a part of, it, especially with the recording, you know, that I mentioned earlier. And mm-hmm. she's created this really immersive kind of cosmological insulation. And so connecting the show with swagger and tenderness that, you know, John Ahern and Enrico Torres have created these sculptures of people of the South Bronx. So it's about the community. It's about, you know, they see themselves, they're portrayed in these, in these sculptures, sometimes uh, in their life size in terms of like whether they're freestanding sculptures or whether they're busts, like sculptural busts. And so the the curators have really selected, I mean, they're, they're very prolific and they've selected, you know, 57 works for the exhibition. And then there are three public artworks that are also part of the exhibition, you know, near the museum and in, in the neighborhood. And so it really highlights the people because even without the people, without them being the models for these sculptures, you know, there wouldn't be any artwork. And then also another part of the exhibition is kind of leveling the playing field with this exhibition really highlights the 43-year collaboration between John Ahern and, and Rigoberto Torres. Curators really wanted to level that up where, you know, Rigoberto and John have been working together for 40 plus years. And it's important to kind of level that that playing field. And so John moved to uh, New York, uh, moved to the city from Binghamton and, and Rigoberto is based in the South Bronx. And Rigoberto was working on his uncle's statuary corporation and creating these like religious statues. And so John John met Rigoberto when he, I think he was 17 and they had this collaboration ever since. And when they cast these models, they took it out to the street. And so they would have the community all around in their casting. There's a video showing, showing the casting of 
people who wanted, you know, wanted to be casted out, out in the open. And so it's kind of developing this trust to this bond and people could just see what was going on and really engaging them, you know, engaging them in that way. So Swagger and Tenderness is on view until April 30th. Abigail okay. DeVille's exhibition has just been extended until June 18th. Well, thank you for that. I mean, this has been a, a really awesome conversation. And on behalf of the artists, on behalf of the community, thank you so much for the, the great work that you do at the museum. Thank you. I thank them and I thank you. We are very, very grateful. And uh, we'll do this again. Sounds great.